All right, and good morning, Rich Point Church. Thank you for joining us this morning. As we're tackling kind of a, a tougher question, uh, I'll kind of get into more of that in a little bit, but we're answering probably the toughest question uh, of this entire series of, of what about this idea of, of pain and suffering? And, and, and the, the challenge with that, it always seems like, and I saw this happen in, in a couple of real-life scenarios this week, is that we've been planning this series for uh, the better part of, of this year and kind of figure out what week this, this particular topic was going to be covered. And, and, and then this week I saw a, a lot of stuff happen with, within people that were within our church saying, hey, can you pray about this? And, and some really, really big stuff. But, but then even on a, a more regional uh, level, we also saw, I'm sure you, like, like, like I was throughout this week, I was just following the tragic story of the baby Jordan Bellevue over in Largo. And I remember early on, uh, I think last weekend, started getting the Amber Alerts about him and started hearing some of the stories. And they started to plaster his picture up on the TV and just this bright, beautiful kid with this amazing smile and he was missing. And, and kind of because we're all kind of regionally located here in Central Florida, I think we caught it more than most. And, and so I started kind of following the story for a couple of reasons. One was because of that close proximity. And first it was the, the story his mother told of, of having been abducted and, and beaten and she woke up and she had invented this entire story, but that's what they're going with first and then to find out later on that she made all of that up and that actually the mother had killed him in a very heinous way. Like, my heart just broke hearing that story. And then towards the end of this week, the, the foster parents, he'd been in a foster home almost from the time that he was born. He was in the foster home for 16 months of his life. And the foster parents got up and read a prepared statement, and, and the father read it. And he said, you know, this wasn't just a child that was on an amber alert. He learned to roll over in our house. He learned to talk and to walk in our house. And, and just the, the father had a hard time. He says, I'm not taking questions. I want to read our prepared statement, and then we're leaving, and please just respect our privacy. And I just kind of watched with, with a broken heart, watched this press conference and, and watched the, the extended family as, as they dealt with this and as the community kind of rallied around that area first in trying to, to find Jordan, but then also in, in grieving. And I think that there's something about being close to something, whether it's geographically or whether it's just relationally, there's something about being close to someone because we all live in this central Florida area, but, but for myself, even more so, my wife and I, when we were first married, lived about two miles from where all this took place. And, and so because of that, there's something about proximity that heightens our awareness of tragedy. Whether it's true geographically or, or, or whether it's true relationally, there's something about close proximity to, to an event, to a situation, or even to a season of a person's life that starts to tug at our heartstrings and, and it heightens our awareness of tragedy. You see, if the story had happened in another part of our country, say if it happened way out west in California or Oregon, it would have been just as tragic a story. But it probably wouldn't have been as identifiable as it was for us because for us, especially when he first went missing, for a lot of people, they thought that, that could have been me, like that could have been my child. And so there's something about when we walk through seasons of, of, of tragedy, when we walk through seasons of, of doubt, we start to ask this big question, today's question. Why does God allow suffering? Why? The truth is, this is the, the fifth of a series of questions we've been asking here at Ridgepoint Church. And these are the biggest questions that people have about God, about Christianity, and about, about the Bible. We've asked some generic questions, some foundational questions like, does life have purpose and, and does God exist? 
As we've gone throughout the series, we got more specific as we start to talk about the role that Jesus played in all of this and, and, and is Christianity itself too narrow and, and is Jesus really God? And here's the thing I want us to understand as we talk about these questions. And if you're brand new here, I know we've been kind of building this, this particular message up. I would encourage you, you can go back to our website and listen to the podcast from those messages or actually go back to our YouTube page and watch the videos. I'd encourage you to go back and watch those because I think each one of the questions is very pertinent, and each one kind of builds on the other, but I also want us to get this. For a lot of people, if our struggle right now, if we're sitting here saying, I'm not sure that I've understood life's purpose, or I'm not, I'm not sure if I believe that God exists, a lot of times what happens is because of past hurt, because of past pain, and because a lot of times when it comes back to this question, why does God allow suffering? When it comes to that, we say, because of this, I'm going to put these other surface questions out there. Because I don't want to deal with the bigger issue that I'm, that's weighing on my heart. And that's this question, God, why, why do you allow suffering? You see, I shared a, a, a story, the first message of the series, about a person who's going through a tragic spot in his life. And, and because of that, he started to ask somebody else a series of questions. And they're all in the peripheral. He said, answer this question and answer this question. Because deep down inside, he was dealing with a diagnosis that he didn't want to process. And he was mad at God about it. And so in his heart, he was asking this question, God, why are you allowing my suffering? But on the outside, to everybody else he came in contact with, he was asking, well, how do you know the Bible's true, which we'll talk about in a couple of weeks, I think next week, and, and, and how do you know that God exists, and all these other questions that are all important questions, but they were the surface questions that hid this deeper anguish that he was experiencing. God, why do you allow suffering? Or, more importantly, God, why did you allow this event or this season to take place? You see, every one of us, at some level, if we've been around long enough, every one of us has experienced some measure of tragedy. I can remember when I was young, I was probably seven or eight years old. My parents were just at the point we used to have, everybody used to have phones in their homes. I know that's a rare commodity anymore, but we had home phones in our home, and people actually called us on our home lines. And so, like, there's a point growing up as a kid that, that mom's like, no, don't answer the phone. And eventually, like, okay, you can answer the phone. And, and I remember answering the phone, and my grandma was on the line. And I didn't know, but I answered the phone that morning. She normally called my mom at night, and she called that morning to tell my mom that my grandfather had died unexpectedly. I remember I answered the phone, and I was excited. Grandma's on the phone, and she's like, can I talk to your mom? And I'm like, Grandma, I want to talk to you. And she's like, can I talk to your mom? Mom right away sent something was wrong. She answered the phone, and she said, I'll be right over. And I found out at a young age, at seven or eight years old, that my grandfather had passed. I had other experiences when I was younger that I didn't process, but now at seven or eight, I began to process. And we've all gone through similar experiences in our life, some more tragic than others. You see, every one of us has experienced tragedy, but for some of us, if we live long enough, and if life just has those twists and turns, there's some point that we experience a level of tragedy that, that leads to an anguish. That as we go through it, at some point in, in, in the way we process it, is, is we, we, we get this cry, like this ugly cry, this guttural cry from deep down inside of us, saying, why, God, do I have to go through this situation? And it doesn't always come expectantly. You see, there's some tragedy that we go through, that, it, that it's a season that we go through. It isn't even just an event, it's a season we go through. And maybe there's some things that led up to that tragedy that we would say, well, I, I at least was partially responsible 
Maybe it was because I started to, to work more hours at work and I was neglecting my family. And, and all of a sudden I realized that, that I went through a season of my family's life where, where things weren't connecting right and, and we weren't, things weren't processing right. And, and maybe even it led to a dissolution of marriage or, 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 or kids being alienated from us. And, and we said, man, there was a season of life that I went through that was really, really hard, but, but I bear a little bit of responsibility and the truth is, whether or not I bear responsibility at the end, I can still process it very much the same and be mad at God about it. But at least if I can process through and say, well, I, I'm going to learn from this because I made some mistakes, at least in my mind, that starts to make a little bit of sense. But what about when that event comes out of nowhere? What about when, when we're just kind of going on life and we think, man, everything's good, and then we get the call from the doctor? Saying, hey, can you come to my office? We need to talk about some things. We get the call from our boss saying, hey, you're not measuring up. We got to let you go. The bank calls and says, we're going to foreclose in the house. Your spouse calls and says, I don't want to be with you anymore. When those events happen, and whether it's seasonal or whether it's a one-time event that kind of takes our breath away, whether it's something that we kind of did to, to, to lean into that season of our life or whether it's something that hits us completely out of the blue. The way we process that on the other side is often very much the same way. You see, whether it's seasonal or whether it's an event, whether I caused it or whether I had nothing to do with it at all, I can come through the other side not only asking the question, God, why do you allow suffering? But asking the question, God, why is it that I have to go through this? God, I might have done some things to lead up to it, but God, this is way more tragic than I, than I ever thought. You see, I want to answer the question this morning of, of why God allows suffering. Like, we have to talk about that. And here's what I've discovered in, in, in my life, just as I watch people, as I talk to people, and as sometimes I get a chance to even to counsel people about processing through some of these seasons of life or some of these situations of life. As I see people, one of two things often happens. Either this is the main reason why people never go to church, get plugged into Jesus, or this is the reason why some people say, man, I was plugged in. And I went through this valley, I went through this season of life or had this event that took place. And whether I caused it or not, it really didn't matter because on the other side of that, I got really angry, I got really bitter at God. And I might not have even really felt that. I might have just been like down in life. And, but if I'd, if I'd have sought out what the heart of that feeling was, I'd have said, yeah, there's probably some bitterness there. And it's the number one thing that either keeps people from going to church, or if they're going to church, it's the one thing that kind of pushes them away. It said, man, I was consistent, I was plugged in, and all of a sudden, because of an event that took place, and sometimes the event is, is huge and is very significant. But the funny thing about life is sometimes the events aren't even really that significant. Sometimes the tragedy that we go through is the football team that we cheer for lost to a team they hadn't lost to in 32 years. And, and we laugh because we know, like, in the grand scheme of things, that isn't important. But for some of us, last night, we just said, I'm done watching college football because I can't get ready for church on Sunday morning. I'd be depressed on Saturday night. Y'all Florida State fans cannot laugh. Samford. That's all I'm saying. But here's the thing. 
life at some point for every one of us brings tragedy. And it doesn't mean that we like it, and sometimes the things are trivial and they'll pass and, and we'll move on to other things, but sometimes we settle into just a spot of life where it doesn't seem like things are really getting better. And here's the thing, because I'm really asking two questions this morning, the, the main one being, God, why do you allow suffering? But the secondary question, because I know suffering's a part of life, and probably more important to us, is how do I push through the suffering? Because for every one of us, listen, newsflash for everybody, we're going to experience suffering. It's, it's going to happen. And I want to, I want to talk about why that's the case because I think it's, it is a good question to ask God, why do you allow suffering? But even if we reconcile that, it doesn't mean we get better. See, I've seen two families go through an amazing, and, and they're both great families, and they went through an amazingly similar set of circumstances that brought tragedy to their family. And one family processed through and actually made them, them better as a family. And another family processed through and it just made them bitter and it divided their family. And I just, I looked at the situation and I said, wait a minute, these are both strong families going into the situation. But they came out and one said, I didn't like the situation. I didn't like going through this, but, but we're going to rally together. We're going to push through this and we're going to figure this out. And not only did it further their relationship as a family, it bolstered their relationship with God. And the other family, it did the exact opposite. It tore them apart. It fragmented them as a family. And it left, for a lot of the family members, it left them with this bitterness towards God and this emptiness in who they were. So I want to begin by asking the question, God, why do you allow suffering? But then to, to begin to, to push through that and say, okay, if suffering has to be part of life, and, and it is, we know that, then how do I begin to, to push through that suffering and be able to process life and, and be able to move on and have healthy relationships and, and at the core of my being have a healthy relationship with God? Let's begin by asking that first question. Why does God allow suffering? There's a couple of things as we begin to talk about this. There's, there's a couple of things that we have to admit at the very foundation of what we're talking about. And that, and that is that, that as a believer in Jesus, I go to church. And because I go to church, there's, there's two things that I know that I believe about who God is. And there's two things that I know that are foundational to my faith and understanding. Like I believe in Jesus. And because I believe in Jesus, I believe two things. I believe God is good, and I believe God is in control. I believe both those things about God, but, but here's where the skeptic comes in and says, okay, if you believe those two things, if you believe God is good, if you believe God is in control, and by in control, I mean God is absolutely, we use this word in the Bible, it's called sovereign. That means that there's nothing that happens outside of his purview, that everything, that God is good, that everything about him is good, and that God is also completely in control. And so the skeptic looks at that and says, if you believe that God is good, and if you believe God is in control, then why does all of this bad stuff happen? Why did baby Jordan go missing? Why did his mother do that? And, and, and there's times when it comes to individual questions that, that that question gets even deeper and a little bit more difficult to answer. But I say at the foundation of who I am, I believe that God is good. There's no, there's no bad in him. I also believe that God's entirely in control. And so they look at that and say, well, that doesn't seem to fit with what I see and what I experience in the world around me. 
In fact, one skeptic, one atheist said it this way. He said either God can do nothing to stop catastrophes, or he doesn't care to, or he doesn't exist. Which led him to surmise this, God is either impotent, evil, or imaginary. He said God can do nothing to stop catastrophe. He doesn't care to stop the catastrophe, or he's just imaginary. He doesn't even exist. And we look at that, and on the outset, it looks like, well, okay, that kind of, that kind of makes sense. Like, I believe God is good. I believe God is in control. But this person says, but look at the world around us. It doesn't seem like either God is not good or God's not in control. Because deeper into this question of why does God allow suffering is this deeper question of God. And if we could ask him this right now, the question would probably look like this. God, why couldn't you have created a world that was free from suffering? God's answer is, I did. And that's the tough part of this is, is, is that we look at this and, and we think, well, a lot of times the tragedy that hurts the most is a tragedy that happens to, to people who we deem as, as innocent. But God says, listen, this breaks my heart as much as it breaks your heart. I don't want to go through this, but I created a world that was perfect. I created a world that was without sin. And I said, you can do anything that you want except for eat of the one tree. And, and Adam and Eve go and they eat from that tree. And, and once they do that, they introduce into the world First, the idea of sin. But with sin comes sickness. It comes pain. It comes anxiety. It comes depression. It comes separation. It comes volatility in relationships. And ultimately, it comes death. God says, I created a world where you weren't even supposed to have to work to till the ground. It's supposed to, all that was supposed to happen, there wasn't going to be pain in childbirth. But, but when we brought sin into the world, that with that, there came all of those other things. And so God says, listen, ideally, the way I created the world, that's how it was supposed to exist. And then it's because of the introduction of the mistakes that we made. See, at the end of the day, as much as we look at stories and we don't understand it, at the end of the day, there's not an innocence there. Because of what we've done, we've brought sin and pain and, and, and heartache and all of that stuff into the world. And we say, okay, I, I get that. Like, and, and part of this, I want us to understand where we're going to go with this, is, is part of it is going to be, for me, first logically processing through this, but, but then as it gets to more specific situations, it gets more, more difficult and more delicate. Because logically, I say, okay, God, I can get that. Like, like, okay, yeah, you're right. You created a world that didn't have any suffering, and, and we brought suffering in because of our mistakes. And, and today, we still continue to make mistakes. And, and most of the heartache I deal with today is because of mistakes that I made. Like, I get that. But didn't you already know that about man? Like, you, didn't you know when, he cre when you created us, didn't you know, God, that, that there, all this stuff was going to happen? And of course, he's God. Of course, he knew that. But he also knew. Because the follow-up question is, okay, God, if, if you knew all that this was going to happen, why didn't you create a, a secondary plan where this couldn't take place, where there wouldn't be so much suffering? And God says, well, as, as we begin to, to have that deeper discussion, because I created this world that was meant to be without sin, without sin, without pain, with all of those things. If you have your Bibles, I want to begin by looking at Romans chapter 8, uh, beginning in verse 19 today. We're actually going to finish up with verse 18, so we'll come back to it. But while I want to begin in verse 19, it says this. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. 
that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know, this verse is key, verse 22, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirits grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption of sons or redemptions of our body. He says, listen, creation itself is groaning in anticipation. Creation says, when God created all of this that there was around us, that everything was, was meant to be perfect and that everything was supposed to, there's supposed to be an order to the world. And that because of the sin that's brought in, it brings this chaos into the world. And that's why so many times when we go through seasons of tragedy and catastrophe, it just simply feels chaotic. Because the world itself wasn't supposed to be that way. And our mistakes brought chaos and, and tragedy to us as human beings, but also to our world. It says creation groans and travails, waiting for Jesus to return, to bring back order to the chaos that we've brought. And so we look at that and, and, God, and we say to God, well, but, but, but couldn't you have, have made another way where, where things wouldn't hurt so much? Like you knew we were going to mess up. We're, we're human beings. We make mistakes. And, and we introduce this, this idea of suffering. So couldn't it have been possible to do it another way? And God says, well, not exactly. You see, if God forced us to be obedient, it wouldn't really be obedience. If God forced us to love, it wouldn't really be love. For those of us who are parents here this morning, see if this resonates a little bit. You knew when you made a decision, if it was a, a cognitive decision to say, I want to begin a family right now, whether through, uh, through childbirth, through adoption, whatever your family looked like, you knew when you began the process of, of processing through, and for a lot of couples, it's, it's an intentional decision saying, okay, it's time for us to begin a family. You knew going into that that there was a chance at some point that your child was going to disappoint you. There's a chance at some point your child is going to hurt you. If not, you learned it by the second child, I'm sure. But, but we knew going in that, that at some point our child was going to do something that, that, that maybe we didn't like. And, and, and that depending on the severity of that, it, it might even lead to a disconnection from us. And as they get older, it might lead to a breakdown of the relationship. And so you knew going in that there was a chance that bringing a child in the world or adopting a child was going to bring heartache. And you chose to do it anyway. Why? Because you said along with the heartache that might come, there's also going to be love. There's going to be joy. There's going to be completion about my life. And so he said going in, I know that there's a chance there's going to be heartache and pain, but there's also going to be joy and love and, and fulfillment. And so because of that, we say the same thing as parents. We say, I'm going to bring children in this world or I'm going to adopt children, even though I know there's a potential for heartache because there's also a potential for there to be fulfillment. And so in our mind, we reconcile and say, I, I understand as parents why we still bring, in the, bring children in the world knowing there might be heartache, and God can say the same thing about us. See, he knew what was going to come, but he loved us. He created us anyway, and he gave us, within his sovereignty, he gave us this free will to make some of those choices, choices that at time bring heartache. And so I look at this, and, and I begin to reason this out, and, and I say, God, like, like, like I, I get it. I, I get that 
It was, it, was, it was really our fault. We brought sin in the world, and with that came pain and anxiety and sickness and death and all those things that come with it. Like, I get that, and, and I get even the idea logically of why suffering happens because here's what I've just discovered is that in my life, and when I, especially when I have long seasons of doing really well, I have this insane, it's not even a desire, it just kind of naturally happens. This gravitational pull to start to lean on myself. I think I could do it all myself. But when I go through tragedy, when I go through heartache, when I hear the diagnosis I don't want to hear, when my kids tell me the things I don't want to hear, when the doctor says the things I don't want to hear, force me to say, God, I can't do this alone. I have to start to lean on you. The Apostle Paul had prayed in his life. He had a, a measure of suffering in his life, and he said, God, remove this suffering, remove this pain, remove this thorn in the flesh from my life. And, and he prayed three different times, and God didn't do it. And, and he started to realize that it's only through my weakness, God, that you begin to be made strong. And, and just my observation is for some people, they go through these seasons of life where things are really difficult, and, and it, it, it tears their relationship with God apart. And for others, they go through the same exact set of circumstances. And they say it's because of the circumstance that I went through that my relationship with God has been bolstered. See, here's the, probably the most challenging thing in all of this. Is that for most of us, as we're going through life, when we hurt, we hide. I want you to think about that for a second. For most of us, when we go through life, especially through that, that, that season or that event where we get really mad, we get really frustrated, when we hurt, we hide. And so what happens is that whatever it is, whether it's, whether it's an event that happens to me or, or, or whether it's a situation that just kind of develops, or when I go through that situation, I said, man, I, I'm coming from a spot now of, of deep pain. And the truth is, at this point, I don't want to be around anybody. And so we go and we hide ourselves off in our house and, and we close ourselves inside of our walls and we say, I just need time to process this. But soon the, the hours turn into days, the days turn into weeks, and, and before we know it, we've severed ties to the people who God says you should be using to build yourself up. And then you realize it's actually been weeks since you prayed. It's been weeks since you talked to God. And so I didn't, I didn't mean that. It was kind of this slow fade away from where I am to, 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 where I, to where I was, from where I was to where I am now. And God, I didn't realize it, but I've been harboring this, this ill will that I even began to hide from you. When I hurt, I have a tendency to hide. And that's, in, that's this incredibly unhealthy for me to do. But I think we all have that gravitational pull to do that. We say, I want to lean on my own understanding. I want to be able to figure things out myself. And when I hurt, I have a tendency to hide. We ask the questions, and, and especially when those questions get a little bit deeper. See, I can logically reason this out. 
if you and I were having just a philosophical discussion, or if you're in a class, you're in a sterile environment of a classroom, and you're trying to reason out this idea of why does God allow suffering, well, the answer that we've been kind of talking through for the last couple of minutes helps give us some measure of understanding. And that's fine in the sterile environment of a classroom. It's even kind of fine within the confines of the walls of the church. But it's not nearly as fine when we sit in your living room and we're talking through some of the real-life scenarios that we're dealing with. Not, God, why did you allow suffering? Why did you allow this? And that's when the rubber meets the road. See, I want to have an intellectual discussion that gives me spiritual understanding so that before I hit that season of desperation, I've already figured this out in my mind. Because later on when I need it, I want to be able to lean on it. I want to already have figured this out. Because I'm going to be honest with you, the answers that we give when we're sitting at the table in your kitchen or sitting in your living room and we're walking through that tragedy seems woefully, woefully too little. Not so much, God, why do you allow suffering, but God, why did you allow this to happen? And sometimes, as a pastor, I got to sit there and say, you know what? I don't, I don't know. Like, I, I, wish, I wish I knew. And I can say, for, for me personally, the, the hardest time that I've ever walked through was to see, was, was an event that came out of nowhere, and, and it shocked a, a community, not, not here, another community we lived in, and, and, and because of that tragedy, we saw dozens of students get their life right with Christ because of it. But it isn't always that clear, and in the midst of it, it doesn't seem always that, that easy. Sometimes people come and say, well, why did this have to happen? And, and i got to be honest and say, I, I, I don't know. I can be there with you. I can, I can grieve with you, but I don't, I don't know. But, but I know this. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, it says this. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All I know that all I all that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. Paul writing the church of Corinth says, right now, as, as we're going through life, we have these seasons where we're, we're looking into this, this, this glass, it doesn't seem clear. And so because of that, what I see right now is there's, there's not clarity. What I see now isn't complete. One day I'll be able to see completely, but right now I don't see that. And so there's times I walk and I sit with families and, and they say, why did this have to happen? And I say, I, I don't know. I wish I knew. I wish I could give you an answer. I don't know this specific situation, but I know that I trust God in all of this. And that right now all I'm seeing is a small part of his much bigger, bigger picture. See, someone described it once as this. They said, right now, if, if life were a giant parade, and different parts of the parade represents different years of the existence of our world, if you're watching a parade physically right now, and I were to call you up and say, hey, describe to me what's happening in the parade, 
what you had described to me is what you're seeing right in front of you. Oh, the marching band is playing right now. Well, no, the whole parade's going on. You're just only seeing your part. Meanwhile, God's above the parade. He sees the entire thing. So it's not even that when when we're sitting here asking these questions of God, God's saying, well, I can see in the future, and I can see how all these things are going to work together for good. He's not just that he's seeing the future, it's that he's in the future. He's seeing the whole thing at once, and he says, I know right now the suffering that you're experiencing, and my heart breaks with you. Know that you're not alone in this. But I'm also in the future, and I'm seeing how all of these things can be used the heartache that you're experiencing now can be used to bring about, even bringing about my glory in your life. So a couple of things I want to give us this morning to help us process this idea, because when we hurt, we have a tendency to hide. Number one, making it through this season of life often depends upon who we're doing life with. Making it through this season of life Often, depend, uh, often hinges upon this idea of the very people that we surround ourselves with. You see, when we, have a, when we hurt, we have this tendency to hide. And when I hide, I don't allow myself to process things. The Bible says there's going to be seasons of grief and there's going to be seasons of joy. The book of Ecclesiastes says there's a time for both of those things. And the crazy thing is, I've had a chance, especially recently, uh, to connect with some families that don't go to Ridgepoint, but, but I've, I've been through them, with them in, the, in their time of grief as they've lost loved ones. And I've seen families over and over have this crazy experience of they've had this incredible loss. But in the loss, because family gathers together around that loss, they go from crying through the pain of the loss to laughing at the memories of their shared experiences together. And for a couple of days as they prepare for the service, there's even a healthiness to that because the whole family's together. But after the funeral happens, the loved ones go back to their homes wherever home is. And we begin to isolate ourselves again. We begin, we begin to be alone. And the hurt becomes that much deeper. I often talk to people and say, hey, if, if you really want to provide comfort for someone going through loss, don't worry so much about the first week because everybody's talking to them then. A month later, when everybody else is gone, they're still struggling. Reach out to them then when everybody else has kind of gone on with life. It just is naturally how things happen. Our ability to process through this hinges on the idea that we have to surround ourselves with the right people. The stability that we experience in our life and our faith is often hinging upon the idea that, man, life is hard. We're going through life, and it seems like we're trying to to piece everything together, and it means we have to have family together, we have to have work together, we have to pay the bills, we have to make sure the kids get off to school, and and they're following up with their teachers, and and at some point, I'm I'm trying to gather all this stuff together, and then I have church responsibilities on top of that, and, and my arms get tired. I need people around me that when I'm tired, they're the ones lifting up my arms for me. A couple of weeks ago, we began talking about family group here at Ridgepoint Church, and, and we do that every uh, twice a year as we go into the different seasons of family group. I try, I try as much as possible to say, hey, we're not just building this up because we want to see our family groups grow. We're building it up because when we go through those seasons of life, and, and I've, I've been there myself, 
We go through seasons of life, we want to make sure we have the right people surrounding us because our success or failure in that area is going to hinge upon the people we're doing life with at that point. Second thing, we serve a God who not only sympathizes with our pain, but he emphasizes as well. When we hurt, we hide. We begin by hiding from other people, but we also begin from hiding our struggle from God. God, I'm going to mask these other questions. I'm going to stop going to church just because life got busy and things got hard. And, and, and we kind of, we don't mean to. There's a slow fade away. But we said, man, God, all the things I was doing to, to build up my relationship with you, I just felt tired. I felt worn out. And I gave all that stuff up. You see, I said early on that this is the one thing that keeps people away from church. But it's also the one thing that drives people from church. They said, I went through suffering. And at some point, it wasn't intentional. But I disconnected from God. I disconnected from family. And. And now I feel incredibly alone. And God says, listen, I know the struggle you're going through right now. I know how difficult it is. And it pains me even more than it pains you. See, in the Old Testament, there's this passage that talks about, it's, it's prophecy about Jesus who's still to come at this point. But in Isaiah chapter 53, it says this about him. Surely he has borne our grief and he's carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. It says about Jesus, literally the first verse that I read, verse 4, it says that he carried our sorrows. When we ask, why does God allow us to go through these situations? Why does God allow events or seasons of sorrow? Jesus says, I identify because when I went to the cross, I carried your sorrow for you. I carried that pain for you. We serve a God who not only sympathizes, but also empathizes with our suffering. Number three, and this is so important. I want to be able to celebrate God on the mountain. But I can't celebrate God on the mountain and then neglect him in the valley. See, we come to church, and, and when things are going well, we get really excited. I mean, if, 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 I'm, if I'm going through life, and my marriage is, we're, we're happy, we're communicating, our kids are behaving, they're getting good grades, I just got the promotion at work, I come into church with a strut in my step. I mean, the gator's one last night, everything's good. And I walk in, I give everybody a high five, and the pastor gets up, and he says, God is good, and the church responds, all the time, and then he says all the time, and the church response says, God is good. And listen, I love the high five moments of life. Like I live for the high five moments of life. But not every moment is a high five moment. In fact, if I were just to read through scripture, there's lots of times people ask the question, why? The earliest book in the Bible is probably, the earliest book written is probably the book of Job, who asks God the question, why do I have to go through all this suffering? The Psalms are filled with Psalms of lament. God, why do you allow evil to flourish? Why do you allow evil to go unpunished? But it's often in those hardest moments that worship is the most real. I can't give high fives in the moments of victory. And then get in the valley and say, God, I'm going I'm to neglect you. I can't recognize God in the mountain and neglect him in the valley. Final one, we got to wrap this up. No matter how bad it seems, the promise of Scripture is that it's going to get better. Now, it might not be as quickly as we want, 
But the promise of Scripture is that it's going to get better. I want you to do something. If there's a pen in front of you, I want you to take the pen and write this down someplace or maybe put it in your phone. See, there was a day, like back when, when, when if you're my age or a little bit, even, a little bit older than me or a little bit younger than me, but, but close to my age, there's a point that you were at school and, 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 and so maybe, guys, maybe identify with this for a second. You're in middle school and some girl says, hey, I want to give you my phone number. And you pull out a pen and you're like, I don't have any paper. You knew if it was important enough, you'd write it right up on your hand. I got paper for that. I want you to write down this verse, Romans 8, 18. Write it someplace indelible, and, and when you start to go through seasons of struggling, turn back to this verse. It says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. God doesn't say the going's always going to be easy. In fact, he promises us there's going to be suffering. But he says, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is, to be real, is going to be revealed to us. If we're going through suffering right now, and many of us are, stories I heard this week, people texting me and calling me and asking me to pray, there's been some heavy stuff. And we go through that, we say, I don't understand, God, I, I, I don't process through this, like why does this have to happen, or why does this have to happen again? God says the sufferings of the present world are not worth comparing to the glory that's one day going to be revealed to us. Yes, we have an option. As we go through the valley, we can sit there and we can allow it to make us bitter or can, it can allow us to make us better as an individual, as a family. We say there's one of these two responses out in front of us because all of us are going to experience tragedy. But if we sit there with a mindset and we say, I know that I'm going through the valley, but by mountains about to come, I know that I'm going through this, this, this stop in my life, but it's only clearing up the story that's going to be, be made from my life. I know that there's a test, but it's about to become my testimony. I know that there's, there's pressure, but it's about to, to become a diamond, a sparkling diamond in my life. We know there's going to be tragedy. It's our response to that tragedy that determines whether or not we're going to be bitter or better. In the long haul. See, I said when we began this story talking about, or began the sermon talking about baby Jordan, I said then that there were, there were two things that kind of tragically pulled me to his story. The first was the close proximity. We paid attention because it was in central Florida. I also paid attention because I used to live in Largo. But the second thing was when I found out that he was in this foster home for 16 months. And I watched a press conference with these parents because, and I've shared a little bit of this story with the church in the past, but when Beth and I were, were, were first married, we kind of went through, we're the newlyweds, we're enjoying time together, and we started to decide, hey, is it time for us to make that decision about family? And we began trying, and it wasn't happening, and we started to explore what that looked like, and maybe going to see if medically there's something wrong that we had to take care of. And, and then God opened up an opportunity right as we were having that discussion. I get a phone call one day at, at our, the church I was at at that point as a youth pastor. I was the only one in the office. I answer the phone. And they say, hey, there's a child that's about to be born in the Pinellas County jail system. And we need a family willing to take that child for just a couple of months until the mom gets out of prison. Is there anybody in your church that would be willing to do that? This is someone that I knew that had called us just asking us to do that. 
I began to call around and couldn't get anybody around that, that weekend, and, and I called my wife, and we went home, we talked about it, and we said, well, why not us? We've been talking about this anyway. So we actually had a chance to go and to meet the, the mother who was at that point very pregnant, eight months pregnant. She was in the jail. We met her, and she actually told her story about how she had a couple of children taken away because of drugs in the past and that she wanted to have this child and not have them disappear into the system, and so was looking for someone private to come and take the child for a couple of months. And we're actually, like, we're not watching in the video. We're actually in the jail with her, and we're crying with her, and we said, okay, we'll do that. We had the child. His name was AJ. We had AJ for the first, uh, from that time he was about eight days old, for the first couple months of his life. And it was midnight feedings. It was changing diapers. It was all the stuff that a lot of people here in Ridgepoint are experiencing these last couple of months. It was waking up in the middle of the night to give him a bottle and to turn on the British Open, which was happening live at that point because it was, the middle, it was daylight over in Britain, and I showed him who Tiger Woods was. said, that's the greatest golfer the world's ever seen. I was holding AJ, and, and there was this bond that was being built. And the mom through the whole process was so gracious, so thankful that we stepped in and helped her out. About two months later, she called us. She was, she was out. She was at a halfway house. And she said, I want my son now. I said, well, there's not much grace there anymore. I said, actually, we're, it was Wednesday night. I said, we're, we're going into church. Can we just go to church and let him say goodbye to the youth group and to our leaders, and we'll bring him after church? And she said, no, I want him right now. And so we stopped by the church real quick to let the kids say goodbye, and we got up on the highway and headed about 15 minutes south of where we were. We had him, and we, we carried him to her. And I promised myself I was going to hold it together the whole time I was in front of her. And we handed him off, and we didn't know whatever happened after that. And we... We walked away. I promised myself the whole time I was with her, we're not going to cry in front of her. But I got in the car, and and we just completely broke down, just completely just just bawling. And it took us, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes to collect ourselves. And I said, okay, we got to drive. Our plan was to go back to church. I said, we're not going back to church. I got to go home. Because when I heard, I hide. And so we got in a car, and and I started to drive. I thought it would be okay on the highway. And all of a sudden, I heard this noise that I've never heard before. Like, I didn't know what it was at first until I realized it was coming out of me. Like, it was this guttural cry that I'd never experienced before. And, and just this, this spot of, of deep pain. I said, God, I've never experienced anything like this. And we knew it wasn't going to happen right away, but that at some point, that as a couple, we're going to have to process through and decide, is, is this what we want to do? Or is this just too much? I know when we go through those seasons, no one wants to go through those seasons. But don't do it alone. Know that God's on your side, that he cares about you, that he grieves with you. And surround yourself with the right people. Because right now, you're going to be in the valley, but if you're going to get out of the valley, it's going to be contingent upon the idea that, God, I trust you. I might not understand right now, and I'll be honest with you, I might not ever understand here on earth. But right now, I'm seeing just a part. One day, I'll see in whole. Right now, I only see in part. 
And so, God, I'm going to trust you even though I don't understand this. Let's pray together. God, I know this morning there are people coming that are coming to both services that are dealing with with the heaviness that, that right now might be private. There might be only a few people that know. But God, this morning there's pain, there's heartache. There's, they're coming from a spot of deep hurt. God, I pray that your spirit right now would provide healing to that pain. God, not that we're ever going to understand here on earth fully what's going on. But that, God, you allow there to be comfort, even hope and joy in the midst of that pain. God, I also know for others that right now they're not going through necessarily a season of, of, of deep hurt, but those seasons might be coming. God, I pray that, that something we talked about this morning would, would allow us to, to lay a foundation so that we're better prepared and better equipped that when those seasons come, God, that we're able to handle those seasons. God, for those this morning, whether they're here live in our service, whether they're watching up on, on Facebook or they're listening to the sermon later on, maybe their hurt has been so profound that they've pushed you away entirely. They've come up with every excuse in the world not to be obedient, not to follow you, maybe not even to put their trust in Jesus as your Savior. God, I pray in the midst of the pain, the heartache that they experienced in the past or maybe that they're experiencing right now, God, that your Holy Spirit would intervene in their life and that he'd bring comfort and healing in a way that they never understood. See, God, when we say that following Jesus makes our lives better but also makes us better at life, it means even in the loss, even in the heartache, God, that Jesus just makes our lives better. And so if there's someone who, because of the hurt that they've experienced, has been hiding from you, God, I pray today is a day they experience salvation. I pray today is a day they put their hope and their trust in you. Because, God, the storms are either here or they're coming. And the only way we persevere, the only way that we make it through is by putting our faith and trust entirely in you and saying, God, I don't have to understand But I gotta trust. God, let us learn to love you with that complete trust this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.